Pod. I am in the Grotto Pod along with Bridget Quinn, author and a large stack of homeopathic cold remedies for her, not me. What do you I got there? I have one though. What are they? What, did you, what do you got there? They're, they look regular, like regular old pills. They are. They're little sugar pills. If you believe, then they help. It's like Peter Pan. <laughs> and if you don't, then it's a yummy little sweet treat. Mm. You know, I, I feel that I have um, fallen pray to the placebo effect many times in my life. I'm for it. I'm pro placebo yeah. effect. But uh, then I was at, at the doctor the other day and I said something about placebo effect. And he said, you know, if it's the placebo effect, that'll last for a week and then oh. you'll go back to being sick. Okay. So. Okay. I just have to get through Tuesday. Right. Because what happens Tuesday? Well, it'll already mm. have happened by the time they listen. Boy, that was great. That was just fantastic. We are amazing. The weird part was when we had to turn away the news crews yeah. you know, that showed up because they wanted yeah. to cover the event because yeah. there was a huge line coming out. They thought maybe it was a pop-up yeah. you know, that we were selling something other happened, than – It was it a totally pizza happened. donut pop-up actually. Did you see Vanessa's piece in the Chronicle? I haven't read it yet. It's no, good. I saw the email. Good. good so, good. yeah, Vanessa Wa, us, San Francisco Public Library, our partners. Mm-hmm. What could be better? What could be better? Nothing. What could be better besides pizza donuts? Speaking of libraries – uh-huh. Our guest oh, today. Oh my gosh, what an excellent segue. <laughs> is Gordon Jack. I know. Not Jack Gordon. I know, it's confusing because two first names, but. Two first names. I've always said don't ever trust anyone with two first names, but I'll make an exception in this case. Okay, I think you can. Gordon Jack is the author of two YA novels. And, you know, I think we're going to play with that term YA a little bit here because these books are not meant for 11 year olds. But YA isn't. That's middle grade. Okay. This, I would say, is 16 and up. <laughs> well, the first page starts with Smoking Pot. Right. And there's a lot of F-bombs. Oh, boomerang f- effect, yeah. Yeah. The books are Boomerang Effect, released in 2016, and the, the upcoming Your Own Worst Enemy, which is going to be released this fall. Um, this is a case of a writer who isn't someone slogging through a day job. He knows his audience. Let's put it that way. He knows his audience. And this yeah. guy, this is a teacher who... I don't want to say he's a teacher who writes because his books are fantastic. Yeah. and You could be both. And they're on a big, uh, I was going to say major label, but a big publishing house. <laughs> who published them? It's big, right? Harper. Harper. Ooh, didn't Harper get bigger Dean. than that. Yeah. Yeah. So this is Yo, a, that's pretty big. This is a guy straddling two careers. You know, he's taught for 24 years. Well, I shouldn't say that. Technically, he's not teaching anymore. He's a librarian. How cool is that? It's I think it's cool. so cool. Yeah. He left the classroom. Uh, must be over 10 years ago. That's my favorite scene and It's a Wonderful Life. Which I've never seen. Oh my God! What Jewish? Larry, you're going to get sent home. Well, we're out having Chinese Wherever food. Wherever home odd. is for you, people. Yeah. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I believe there's a phrase. <laughs> Wandering. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I can't believe you've never seen *It's a Wonderful Life*. Well, there's a terrible moment where it turns out that George Bailey, had he actually jumped off the bridge and died, mm-hmm. his wife would have been a spinster and wait for it, become the town librarian. That would, what could be worse? This moment, and the angel Clarence goes, "I don't want to tell you, George." And then George's like, "Tell me, she's Clarence. a librarian." And he goes, "She's a librarian. She's just about to lock up the library." And then they do that thing that they used to do in old movies, where they pan really close to his face, and he goes. <laughs> with this terror-stricken look She's on his face. She's a librarian. My favorite depiction of the joys of library science in a movie oh, are yeah. from the movie Party Girl. Do you remember that movie? I don't know if I've seen that Parker movie. Parker Posey. Is... A young oh, no, Parker not Posey. It. Not seen it. Have a, it's a sort of a violent response to the name Parker Posey. Well, you anti-Parker Posey? No, I just know I haven't seen it. I'm very pro-Parker Posey. the Parker only Posey. Parker Posey movie I think I've seen is The Breakfast Club, which does take place in a library. And it's the most unique Parker Posey movie in that she's not in it. Oh, that's a You're Sheedy. You're thinking of Ali Sheedy. Ali Sheedy. I don't know who Parker Posey is. Oh, I can't I do kind that. of. Boy, your indie credit just took But doesn't she talk kind of funny, funny like Ali Sheedy does? Not anymore. But yeah, she uh, – anyways, she plays this party girl in New York. Oh. And she just lives for the party and then – at the end, it burns out, and she decides she wants to be a librarian. That's very cute. She puts on big glasses. and Oh, I love it. Hey, yeah, I just heard the doorbell, and I'm guessing it's Gordon. Gordon Jack's probably here, so you can go get it. I'll just keep talking keep about talking. Gordon Jack. All right, uh, I'm going to open the door. This is a real sound effect. This is a real sound effect. The next thing you see will be Bridget and Gordon coming back, but um, I just want to say these two books of his are fantastic because they lampoon modern culture and embrace it, uh, and they give you, I think, a more accurate depiction of, of high school life than most books aimed at young readers. Uh, and I can only assume this comes from him spending his days out of high school. Well, I think I hear them talking out there. I'm not going to actually shepherd you through this because I just realized we need to have a break so we can play our funky music in between. So I'm going to cut off now 
And then next thing you hear will be Bridget, me, and Gordon Jack. Really. Hi, Gordon. Welcome Hi. to the Grotto Pod. Welcome to our closet. Thank you so much for being here. This is everything I imagined the Grotto to be. <laughs> Writers is, working in tiny, cramped spaces. It's true. It's true. He took a very short tour around the outer perimeter. Oh, I do that sometimes. Just when so, you're lost? No, when I oh. start feeling all the blood pooling in my ankles. Yeah. And I got to say, sometimes that tour isn't what I hoped it would be. <laughs> in terms of what? Well, in you can do a whole lap without talking to anybody. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, that's yeah. true. That's for sure true. <clears throat> and do you get, I mean, I guess people give you the sort of signal if they don't want to be disturbed. If, if the, the door, door is open, closed, you yeah. should not disturb. Gotcha. If the don't, door is open. If the door is closed, don't impose. It's, uh, Correct. Just made that up. My, in my office, you can't see if I'm in there if the door is closed. Uh-huh. But people who have offices where you can peek, I think people still knock sometimes. Oh, okay. They, right. Yeah, I mean, a necktie on the door. Uh, uh, well, th- there was a, a while a person here who had a very mean note on the door that if you were to Im- knock, really? it was closed. That's it, not... It's something like, it better be a fire or someone dying or something. I want that kind of discipline. Like, I want to, you know, I wish I had well, that sort of discipline where I could just lock myself off. And You've given me an opening then because I think you must have discipline. Yeah, because, that's the opposite. So let me let me tell you when I'm... I'm going to take this off. Go right ahead. We won't look. It's very just, hot. Will people know me. what that means? Uh-huh. Uh, oh, because okay. it's very hot in here. You just wait. So when... when I think you met Bridget, right? Yeah. And I became aware of what you do. I thought, oh, well, here's a writer with a day job. No, you're not a writer with a day job, (laughs) nor are you a teacher who writes. You're both. I mean, you are making an impact in both fields. It's neither is something you take lightly. So I think when you say you wish you were that disciplined, I have a feeling <laughs> you are. Yeah. Well, I got to say, I no longer teach English. So right. I That's was huge. only able to make the transition to be a writer when I became a librarian. And I mean, there's a lot of work involved in that, but it doesn't involve taking home like 90 essays, essays to yeah. grade. Oh. And that is just, that will kill anyone's love of writing. I think we can all, we all had that experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And reading too. I mean, I start, tried to start this book club with English teachers at my school, both sort of professional books and, you know, popular fiction. I've, I've been there as well. And they yep. could, you know, you just don't when have are you the time read? to read a book. I know, yeah, exactly. not one that you want to read. So. You know what I found was one of the biggest challenges of teaching English and why I only lasted three years was after a while, you feel like there is no way I can give these papers the attention they deserve. Yeah. Because there's so yeah. many of them. Right, right. Yes, it's true. I actually taught history, but I taught at a Waldorf High School mm. where you don't use textbooks. So when we did Medieval, we read Dante. When we did, I don't know, yeah, Renaissance, we read Shakespeare, which makes it a little easier than teaching English. Mm-hmm. But it's still so much grading. Yeah, so a lot of grading. Much grading. That's, the I think, the one thing nobody talks about in teacher education programs yeah. is the tediousness of grading 90 of the same essays. I mean, and that's part of the drive to kind of differentiate and and Mm -hmm. give everyone different assignments, but... uh I just feel like that is the soul-crushing aspect of the work. The it classroom is. experience is wonderful. I know. Yeah. If it was all in the classroom, yeah. we would all still be teachers. Right, exactly. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And Sundays wouldn't be awful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I would start. Also that's true. when I realized I wasn't cut out for when it was getting earlier and earlier on Sunday. They're like, oh, no. Yeah. Here it comes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah seriously. I love teaching. I just uh, got back from teaching at Mokulaia Writers Retreat mm-hmm. in Oahu, and I remembered how much I love to teach and how great it was to teach adults where I don't have to take their work home and grade it. <laughs> well, so I have a ton of questions about balancing the teacher. Mm. I, I guess not teacher anymore, but that life, the living in the building life uh-huh. versus being a writer and the content that you write about. But oh, me too. I think I don't want to start, though, with the decision to leave the classroom. Mm. And was that a decision based on I want to be a writer now, too? And was that bubbling along, you know, underneath the surface the whole time? Were you like me when I was teaching? Like, oh, I better not be. Te- I better be a writer someday. <laughs> well, uh, yes. I mean, so my pattern <laughs> when I look back on my career as an English teacher was uh, to work in the classroom five years, take a break, work for another five years, take a break, work for another year, five years, five years, take a break. And um, the last stint I had teaching English was in this. Um, 
a multimedia academy that we started, kind of like a magnet program in our district. Mm-hmm. And I was an English teacher there, and we uh, it was a project-based curriculum where an interdisciplinary. So everything they wrote ended up becoming uh, content for their animations, their films, cool. their design work. I totally believe in that. Yeah, yeah it was great. And fantastic. it was such a creatively vibrant uh atmosphere. I was working with really creative teachers, really creative kids, and uh, it killed me that I wasn't able to like do my own assignments, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, it was just, uh, I saw the kind of the work that they were doing, the energy they put into that work. I never saw that like in my traditional English class. And so in the middle of that stint, I got um, a Fulbright to go down to Argentina to live for six months and do some work down there. And it was during that six months gap that I realized I can't, mm-hmm. I can't sustain this, especially because I was getting, I think I was, you know, in my 40s then, and I'd always had that sort of dream of writing, <laughs> publishing a novel before I was 40, which is stupid looking back on I it. Know. But um, it was... Uh, so when I came back from that, I actively started uh, pushing the, the librarian out the door so that I could take oh. her place. Oh, maybe there's a good story in that where you, like, mean, like, weird, like, dead cats in her car and stuff. There is some back, cha- back channel dealings in your books. Is this where you were inspired? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, there was uh, the Mountain View High School library was taking a sabbatical. And so I said, let me fill in for you for a year mm-hmm. and to see if I like it. And so I got that. And then I, so I thought about how can I keep him on a sabbatical. Mm-hmm. But then... During that time, I was also working on the other uh, librarian in our district who was like 65. And oh, it's time. It's, it's time, time to go. And yeah. And I just Start started, cashing that pension. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You did and the right so thing. I talked her into uh, retiring and uh, moved over there. Good. Now, but as someone who taught in the classroom, taught teachers, mm-hmm. uh, developed curriculum, I mean, you're obviously, like our mutual friend Steve, a true believer. Was it hard to leave that and become a librarian? Or did you have a plan? for making working in the library be as impactful as the classroom. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think um, I think the library, once I got into the, to the library position, it almost felt like all the jobs that I had been doing in my 20-year career in the district had sort of come together in one place. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, English teacher, I still, uh, you know, work in, I still collaborate a lot with teachers in my school. I'm the, you know, person who comes in and does the lesson on research. Uh, I've become the person to sort of uh, help kids make better presentations. I'm the advisor for our TEDx group now. Um, TEDx group. Yeah. (laughs) And then uh, all the multimedia Stuff I learned while working in that academy I brought into the library, too, which is why we have a recording booth in our library, and we check out video cameras and sound equipment and encourage kids to do multimedia projects Mm -hmm. um, and facilitate that in the library so that the kids who don't have cameras or or this kind of equipment at home can access it through the library and check it out. Um, And then the professional development I still do because, like, the best part of my job is being back in the classroom and collaborating with teachers on curriculum and instruction um, I've even offered to grade papers. <laughs> Do you so. ever have it where, as a former English teacher, you walk into someone's class and you're like, "That's a terrible assignment," <laughs> or you're just so judgy? I don't. I don't have that as nice much rubric, anymore. Pal. Because, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't have that as much anymore because I uh, I actually helped help design that. Uh, but when yeah. I was a bits of coach, because I did that for five, that was one of the stints away from teaching, and that's how I met Steve. Um, I would do that a lot. I would go into beginning teachers' classes, and you're just sort of cringing and, like, you know, you see the, the, the desire of the teacher to make this go well. And if they had just done, like, this thing different, it would have changed everything. But you just have to sit there and kind of let it happen so that you can reflect on it yeah. later. Because I'm sure you yeah. remember. They're just keeping their heads above water. Right, right. Oh, it's it's the hardest. But do, you, uh, do you get the chance to connect with kids as much as you did when you were in the classroom? We have our regulars. Like, I don't have... Um, I'll bet. Uh, I don't have the same... That's the one thing you give up. So I got the I got my Sundays back, but I gave up having relationships with kids in the same way I had when I was there. That would be hard. Teacher. That would but be hard at the same time, that. I'm not assessing them anymore, and that is kind of a nice thing to have off the, you know, the table mm-hmm. and, uh, because they can come to me for help, and I do actually, you know help with a lot of writing. And I do teach a class, actually. We have a class uh, first period where I'm working with readers who are coming to the high school reading at a fourth, fifth grade level. Oh, okay. And um, we have a class where it's just all free reading. I try to match their interests and their 
reading level with books oh, that we so have in the library. Fun. Yeah. You're and, like a matchmaker. Yeah. And so we just sit and, and I got a bunch of comfy couches and we just sit on the couches and read. The, the goal is to <laughs> kind of increase of their volume of, of um, books. And uh, and and work on their comprehension, but they still they have an English class in addition to my class to help them kind of do that. So I can just focus on getting them to like reading. Um, See, which no, I would don't. I would worry that the kids who are coming to high school with a fourth grade reading level aren't going to be excited about it first period. Yeah, <laughs> that would be the hardest time <laughs> right. to get them excited about reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know because they don't have to do anything else. Like they can just. Chillax on, on the couch. Read. Yeah, it is a nice. Yeah. you know there there are a few that we have to like nudge because they're they've asleep. fallen asleep. Uh, but um, for the most part, uh, it's re- it's a nice calm way to start the day. And I feel Sounds like great. You know, the more and more I see kids on devices in the library, which is all the time, um, the more that. I understand the need for just quiet time to read and focus. Because I feel like. You know, students are are losing that ability to just kind of sit with a book. It's not just students. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not just students. David Eulen, or however you say his name, from the L.A. Times wrote a whole book about how he has been finding his ability to concentrate on reading. Well, have you read The Shallows? The Shallows is a great book about that, too. Can I get that on Kindle? Just kidding. You can. It's still reading. Yeah, exactly. You still use audio books. Well, no, it's you're reading a book. He wrote a book about it. Which yeah. you can read on Twitter. Or no, you can read on Kindle. Or so on. have you found your reading volume decreasing over the time in terms of the number of novels you either listen to or read? I have until mm. – well, because we do this, we sometimes get a lot of stuff we have to read. Mm. But sometimes. I feel like we're always Right now this. I have a pile. But, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I have been ruined by <laughs> – I think I have too. Mm. I mean when I was in high school – I was the kid who never had her homework done because I was always reading. Mm-hmm. And actually, I was always scolded for reading my entire childhood. Really? Now, reading has so much um, of this golden aura of goodness around it. But I don't remember that when we were kids. Mm. Do you? No, in the, I did read in high school. Oh, well, I mean, in the 70s and 80s, I was always in trouble for having my nose buried in a book. Why don't you get outside and play? Yeah, <laughs> I need to interact more. I always read in the afternoons and evenings instead of doing my homework. Um, and those kids rarely exist anymore, I think, mm. because I was looking for connection. I was looking to get out of my life. I was looking to find some other place to live. And you can do that online. Mm-hmm. Those kids still exist. I, I, in fact, I tracked them down because I want to start a book blogging sort of Great club idea, at yeah. my uh, school. So I, <laughs> I I looked at their data. So I looked at, uh, you know, who are number 10, you know, our 10 top check-in checkouts. Out. Yeah. And mm. I tracked them down and I was like, you guys obviously are That's still reading. Because cool. so many kids don't, for many reasons. Like yeah. some of it is just the yeah. amount of time they have in terms mm-hmm. of the, getting their schoolwork done. And my son's reading has dropped off way off because of that. Um, and you I know, think sort of a like, lot of high school reading is real reading. Mm-hmm. Right, it's right. Ideal. So they just, if they have free time, they're not picking up books. But yeah. these kids still are. So you would be in that company. Oh, good. You would be one of my... Hopefully they graduate. Yeah, my book <laughs> bloggers. I used to be like six books out of the library at a time. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Until five years ago. Until I got, a, until I got an iPad. Mm. Oh, do you it. read book books on the iPad? I, well, we've talked about this before, yeah. and I do, but only a certain kind of book. Same book. with me. Mm. So that's also like not a good book. That, yeah. But the problem with, like I said, the problem with reading a book on an iPad, especially if you read nonfiction on an iPad, is you'll see a name or a place and go, ooh. Oh, and then the you links. go to Google and you I look really, it up. No. Like, yeah. Hmm, it okay. is a problem. Yeah. My, this is a good problem to have, but I now get have a lot of friends who have books, and because we do the podcast, I get a lot of books that are – galleys, Mm -hmm. which is fantastic, but I've been traveling a lot promoting my book, and I'm used to having everything on my Kindle, and now I have these Mm -hmm. uh, books to lug around, which I had stopped doing. But I do like, I prefer to read a book, though, especially fiction. I find fiction hard to read on Kindle. Mm -hmm. I had, you know, and this, you're the boomerang effect. I have a problem because I read both, I read both books in a week. And so wow. now I'm forgetting the particulars <laughs> between the two of them. That's a great mashup of the two. But the boomerang effect I read um, in a day and a half, and it was like it was like stepping into a time machine for me because I just laid on the couch and right. I just boom. You hardly ever do that anymore. <laughs> and right? you're so yeah. deep into the book. Oh, that's great. That's what's so great. You don't want to stop. It. You don't want to go back to the regular world. You just want to stay in this world and keep going and figure out what happens. Oh my gosh, I've been reading Vanessa Waugh's A River of Stars. That's coming mm-hmm. out in August, and it's so good that I do what I used to do when I was younger. Like I 
don't want to answer the phone. Mm-hmm. I don't want to make a meal. I don't. I just want to read them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so fun. I love being again. in that mode. It's yeah. so great. It's so so good. I just have to say a funny thing about the boomerang effect, which is that um, I don't think I'm giving anything away because there's a Viking on the cover and Vikings <laughs> figure in, and yeah. then there's a, that there's a Norwegian exchange student who is yes. one of the main characters. And today is Sutton the Mai, which is Norwegian Independence Day. Oh, so um, here we are in very meaningful moments. Can you say anything? In uh, have you, did you learn the language at all? Or? I did, but I don't think you want me to. Okay, <laughs> I, I'm keeping a close eye on Gordon to see if the expression on his face is cool or like, oh my god! I can't believe she's effing talking about this. I thought it was. I said, Larry, oh my god! I gosh, should have picked an Irish set, exchange student. It's going to be set in the mind. It's a very. Everyone wears their like you know traditional outfits. Yeah, and it's there's parades and Lutefisk is a very American thing. Is it? Well, Ballard thing. Yeah, um, it is totally. Yeah. Let's let's back up. Okay, let's talk about the actual book, The Boomerang Effect. Right? Okay. I want to back up even further than that, oh, okay. though, Go for to it. kind of your history as a writer. Okay. Because I think now we've established, and just hearing you speak of the school with the enthusiasm and depth of knowledge proves what I've been saying along. This is not a day job. But you also wanted to be a writer the whole the whole time. Is this, as a child, something you wanted to do? No, no. I, I, like, I wasn't a reader as a child. I wasn't a writer as a child. I think it was until after college that I started um, – Becoming interested in writing, I uh, my first job out of college was in an advertising agency, mm. and so I began in media. But I ended up as a copywriter, and um, so I think it was in that time that I just kind of learned to kind of play with language uh, for advertising sake. So I was writing copy for Lucky Supermarkets, <laughs> and not the most creative account, was it? like Bank of America. But uh, it was fun to kind of just really think about, you know, you have a very sort of, you've got so many limitations when you're writing advertising copy Mm -hmm. and to make it good uh, is really challenging. And I just think that that time period kind of helped me. When the light went off, was it in appreciation of style or story? Um, That's a good question. Uh, I want to say probably style at first because I was just trying to craft, you know, copy an ad agency, for the most yeah. part. Yeah, and 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 I was a reader by that point, so I was trying to catch up on all the classics that I missed in high school, and and I was a lit minor in in uh, college, and so I was just, I felt like I was always, and I still kind of feel like I'm playing catch up. Like I haven't read any James Joyce yet, like or William Faulkner. I got to do that, but. Uh, but I'm not going to unless I take a class. Cause yeah, it's just, Joyce especially. Yeah. That's one of the things I feel like, uh, you know, this digital age has sort of made it harder for me is to really sit down with a challenging book like to that. To take your medicine. Really, yeah, yeah, and it feels that way. So, But when I was in my 20s, I loved to do that. Yeah, I, I read, yeah, no, I read a lot more I, classics in my 20s. Than that's I when now. I feel like most people read them in their 20s. Yeah. And there's, yeah. I, I'm just wondering what, what's, the, what's the connection there between yeah. You'd think being it wouldn't be like that young at all. and being able to sustain your attention to some of this, like I read David Copperfield for the first time oh, last year. So good, it's great, but it is oh, digression, <laughs> overwritten and hard to get through. But like after I was done, I was like, yes, I did it. But like I think I would have had a much easier time with that book in the twenties. Yep. I, I agree. That's a good question. I, I, maybe we're just more likely to not take our medicine, but just believe that this is going to be good because we're young and you know this is <laughs> right. it. You got to you got to get past this first. I did definitely have this feeling when I was younger, like I'm in contact with the masters. Right, like, it right. felt very thrilling yeah. to read mm-hmm. Tolstoy and to read Flaubert. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but I still have a trouble with – I mean just in terms of writing. I still have a trouble with story. Like I could write pages like just kind of playing with language and playing with like little writing. I love writing exercises. I think I have the – uh, wait, it's not the grotto. I have the whole, I, you have a the, writing the book. Yeah. Prompts, yeah. The we prompts. have two of them. I love yeah. it. We have several. It's great. Yeah. And so several. I do that regularly because it's just fun to do. <laughs> but when it comes to kind of plot, it's just, that's, that's always I'm, really I'm interested to hear that because. I am because what were we discussing before? Yeah. I said I read this book and I thought I could have written this because it's the same sort of heavy voicey really inside a character's head. I said, but I can never write the story because it's too complex. <laughs> There's really? a lot of plot. Yeah. You just, my plots in both my books are like homecoming week. Yeah. <laughs> what could go wrong? Class election. Like well, they give you a narrative arc yes, that is sort of like true. pre-established in now, some ways. Do you compress time like that on purpose? Yeah. Yeah. Because in the second one, um, I thought, 
there's no way all this can happen. When I was reading, like, wait, day three, this is all happening over three days? Actually, or? well, I mean, it's that's like a week. Pass, but, like, the, the actual two class weeks, elections yeah. is two weeks. Yeah, yeah. So the actual time isn't. But the amount of stuff that can happen during that time is probably a little. James Joyce's Ulysses takes place walking across town. Right. I know. But we've talked about that, a couple things I'm working on that. I write it and then uh-huh. I go, oh, I need to compress this. Uh-huh. This I, I can't be six months. It's, it's got to be a week. That, the, the greatest thing about homecoming or elections is the clock, we've all done it. We know the clock is ticking. Right. We know. We understand. Well, way. and you have a, like a, uh, a winner and a loser. You know, right. you have this, it, like competitions right. are good, right. I feel like. And so I and so I cheat, you know, that's that's my that's my framing device, you know, for it's writing. Is, I, but now no, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of out of <laughs> You're out of events. Stuff like what's what else besides homecoming and class elections is there? Like, give me my next book, please. Um, give me a minute because there's all kinds. CCS, oh, champ- I, mean, I was I just going to say I would yeah. pick a group Sports. of nerds doing like yeah. Kiwanis Club or, or whatever a, they call that now. Like right. debate even, team. You could you could even structure Robotics. something around the class musical if you want to write about drama geeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could do that. But since you're talking about calling in calling themes from your day job. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit because I feel like I was saying when you were both out of the room and I was talking alone. Oh, um, <laughs> I felt like you do a better job of really capturing what it's like in a high school than a lot of other books I've read mm. for that age group. Oh, thank you. And is that by osmosis or are you taking <laughs> notes? <laughs> well, I hope it's a little bit of – I don't take notes. Good, uh, some of the kids might be There are definitely characters in the books that are drawn from – characters that I see every day in the library or who I've met in my time as a teacher. Um, And you're clearly well-versed in that very specific world. You teach at Los Altos. You work at Los Altos. Right, right. Did you you grow up in that area too, in Palo Alto? In Palo Alto, yeah. And there's something very specific about that that I notice you keep coming back to, and it's these kids, latchkey kids, Mm -hmm. with parents who are either well-meaning or not, but they're not there. Right, right. And these kids are wealthy or wealthy-ish. Yeah. So that's yeah. not an issue. And it's, Wealthier than us. Well, and it's yeah. funny, too, that you'll, <laughs> you'll mention it. In the, in the first book, um, Lawrence drives a BMW. Mm-hmm. And it's not a big deal. It's just what he drives. Yeah. It's just part of his life. Part of his life that his mother's not there. Right. And part of it is that he's got a BMW. It's really well – it's a really fully realized world. Well, and you know, I've been going – I've been invited into a couple of classrooms um, as part of Writer's Week and uh, other things that we do. And, and my whole pitch is that, like, I really am a lazy writer. Like, you have people who are imagining whole new worlds and especially if you're writing fantasy or science fiction or something like the imaginative capabilities of kind of – creating this place are so are beyond me and so i really just i look out like what kind of cars do i see in my, my student parking lot and it's bmws it's mercedes totally. i mean it's an affluent community and so yeah. and then i look at all the teachers cars and they're all like plug-ins or right. hybrids or you know and so it's like i i it's a you know none of what happens has happened in you know my school or right. anything like that but like the milieu is very much drawn from my day job and yeah. what about the parents well uh, the, those are more drawn from like stories that I hear mm-hmm. from students, and especially in Boomerang Effect, I think that was a big. I think Palo Alto, uh, Los Altos. I mean, any place I think in that sort of area. Those are high Valley, stakes areas. High stakes areas where parents have to both be working uh, and working pretty important jobs to be able to afford to live there. They end up by the nature of their jobs being away from how their home a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And so we I know a lot of that's an issue at my school where students go home and there's no one there to kind of mm-hmm. monitor them except through electronic means or through other sort right. of like um housekeepers or do that you, kind of thing. Do you know a family that has a web page like the family and boomerang effect? No, <laughs> I will tell you. I have a Nets camera, and when it's our de facto babysitter, when we go out, like, you know, in Glen Park, and we're leaving my son alone, like, we're leaving, we're like, we're leaving the Nets camera on <laughs> for your benefit, wow. just in case someone breaks okay. in. So I'm so, I'm so, so I've fallen into that trap. I don't, yeah. I, 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 I hope Ailey, it comes off as being critical in the mm-hmm. book, because that's kind of how I feel about it that does. sort of absentee parroting, and it's just taken to an extreme level in this <clears> case, but... You know, I have definitely fallen into that trap where it's like I want to be connected with my child even if I'm not in the, you know, same room with him. Um, so Yeah, it's funny. Right as we speak, my son is driving cross country and I've talked to him four times a day 
and because he's driving alone. Uh-huh. And yesterday I called him and talked to him, and I think I, he might have just put the phone on the seat next to him, and I was just there with him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. What's that? Oh, check that out. Because I was GPSing him, too, and I knew where he was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And did any of you, did you either study abroad when you were in college? I so no. I, I was an exchange student in Norway oh, for yeah, 13 months, and I talked to my parents one time Yeah, on the me phone. too. Not Norway, Spain for me. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, you just, and I think it cost like $80 yeah. when we had made that phone call. And other than that, we only had aerograms. I didn't see right. any of my friends. Remember those? those yeah, like flimsy thin, paper. Yeah. And I was a terrible letter writer. So I really was away yeah. for over a year. Yeah. Uh, I think about that all the time. Yeah. I think the We don't have that experience anymore. Never. I think kids can't have that experience The thought of that anymore. would terrify my son. <laughs> Well, because he grew up a different way than we did. That's the way I understood life. I I loved it. Would it it terrify you? Well, yeah. I mean, we've been trained Uh to expect it. But I I actually kind of – now, the mother in Boomerang Effect basically has made a living out of being an expert on being an absentee parent. I I really like that. But I do like that we can text each other Mm -hmm. and not have to have a full-fledged conversation. You know, if I see – you know, our neighborhood eccentric dancing Mike, I just take a picture and send it to my son who's at school 3,000 miles away. <laughs> Were you at the festival? Was he at the festival this year? He wasn't there this year. Oh. Was there even music? Scary. I didn't hear any bands. There was bands. Oh, okay. Is he missing? No, I saw him on 24th Street get bit by a dog this week, and it was oh, terrible. Oh, no. Poor guy. I know. I would like to, let's get super local. I just have to say, because uh, Larry was here with me this morning, that... Um, my son is in college and we're not in super close contact that way. I mean, a little bit, but, uh, he went to urgent care last night at 1130 and we were not able to reach him since. And by around 11 today, we were freaking out because we couldn't get a hold of him and it turns out everything is fine. But it kind of was the first time I really realized, oh, we're just have this expectation. We can reach him when we need to. Mm -hmm. We can get you whenever we want. Um, See, and I think I would have freaked out sooner. Because there is no precedent for that. Right, right, right. right, right. Yeah. I think his pre- he was like, I can't, like, so what? I mean, if he if he hadn't been at urgent care and sick, I would have thought nothing of it. But it totally wigged me now, up. Now, one major difference, of course. Yeah. Only child. Yes, mm. for you, yes. Yeah. yeah. But when he started high school, it was the first time he had gone, like, he's our first kid. And we realized that the school was tracking. It's an open campus, so the kids feel really free. But we realized that the school was tracking in every class where they came and went. What so, school is this? Uh, Marin Academy. So, oh, it, really? so you know, if, they, if they're at the school, they know right, like, right. every class that they're in. Do they have little barcodes on there? <laughs> well, no, I guess when, this, when the teacher takes the attendance, ah, it's automatically it's transmitted somewhere. Um, because we got a call at some point saying he wasn't there. Yeah. We were like, how do you, like, and the point was really just that his father and I skipped class and school on a regular basis when we were in high school. And I mean, like, I think I missed 56 times my junior year, and my husband was voted most truant in senior year. But at any rate, we were both like, oh, my God. We had no idea most, it was so for most tightly tru- held without most, them knowing. Yeah, for most yeah. truant, you know the picture in the yearbook? Is he just not there? Uh, I don't even know, but we're, we were terrible. Uh, we Our kids can't this, be that terrible. I was just having this conversation with someone, you know, same class as us, about how good our kids are mm-hmm. compared to how we were at that oh. age. And we were trying to figure out, like, what is it? Like, what? You would, and I, I think, don't know why, because my kid, I don't have any of the worries where that I your, had. Where did your kid go to school? Well, right now he's going to Los Altos with me. Oh, um, really? We didn't have a good lottery uh, experience. Yeah. yeah, that's the problem, <laughs> everyone. San Francisco yeah. has so he's down lottery. I would say that's awesome that you get to commute together in the morning. Yeah. But I remember getting my kid to school in the morning in high school. <laughs> oh, you had to get him to school in the morning? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You didn't have Just to. We had to drive cross town, too. Oh, wow. And then after a while, he started driving. Yeah. yeah. But we're not here to talk about yeah. me. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, in general, I feel like it, it seems like kids are just better than, like, we were. <laughs> but I think that's true. Class and all those sort of But they also have no choices. I, I do think kids are over-observed and that it's bad yeah. for them. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say. That's they, my own personal feeling. And I also think that some of the behaviors that we see that we don't like, like prescription drug use, <laughs> comes from abuse, I should say, comes out of needing to risk, needing to push mm-hmm. boundaries, needing to have freedom, needing to push back against stuff. And so right. I'd like them to have real risk in the world more than well, those we kinds of said things. that the yeah. stakes are high for the parents where you teach, but it's high for the kids too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's got to be uh, all sorts of expectations, right? A really elevated that. sense of expectations. I mean, you know, Los Altos isn't far from Palo Alto, right? Right. 
It's, it I mean, when you're awesome. talking about a certain yeah. uh, student at our school, because it's a pretty heterogeneous mix, mm-hmm. but for the kids whose parents, for the affluent kids, the expectation that they're going to go to top UC or, mm-hmm. you know, right. a top tier school is huge. And that, right. so you couple like these really high expectations with this really absent presence in the house. Yeah. And it's just a really bad yeah. combination, I feel like. Yeah. Um, let's get back to, I don't want to lose, I could talk about kids in high school forever, but <laughs> I don't want to lose sight of talking about you as a writer <laughs> okay. and following your path, which obviously got supercharged when you got out of the classroom. In, what was that 2003 or 2004? I think 2003. So, and I did, did sure. I, let's just in, say well, in my <laughs> research, well, in my research, I saw that you were, went to Squaw Valley. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was for the first year was 2003. At least oh, that's okay. what it says. Yeah. Uh, you this know, is your life. Yes, exactly. I'm trying to. <laughs> you're doing a really You're good talking job, to a 52 year old person, so who has very my memories of everything. I was like, God, I hope they don't ask me what I'm reading right I now. Used like, to, <laughs> I used to be a 52 year old person <laughs> till last week. Oh, so um, yeah, I think you know the nice thing about teaching is you get the summers off, and I think mm-hmm. as I was getting closer to leaving the classroom, I was spending more of those summers writing, um, and and so I did. Um, Go to Squaw, I think, while I was still in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And that was another experience. I was just like, oh, my God, this is so much fun. Like, mm-hmm. just that week was just so incredible. I don't know if you guys have I did the same thing so when I was time. teaching. Yeah. yeah, and it was just – it's sort of, you know, revelatory in terms of, oh, my God, this would be – how fun would this be to do all the time, you know? And, so good. So good. And I still feel like I draw on those connections, those original relationships I had with people who were treating writing right. in this really serious way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that made a big impact on me. Between that and your um, fellowship, was there any kind of come to Jesus moment, or was it gradual? Um, come to Jesus moment in terms of leaving the classroom, or yeah, yeah uh, I think it was it was that fellowship uh, where I got out of the classroom for six months, and I had the best teaching gig I think that's possible to have. I was working with. The, in a small magnet community where we were doing all the kinds of teaching I wanted to do, mm-hmm. project-based, interdisciplinary, uh, driven from students' ideas um, and interests, and it was small. People left us alone. We could do whatever we wanted, and yeah. I still Yay. couldn't keep up with yeah. the amount of grading, and the, the workload of that was just so monumental. So when I stepped away from that and kind of left the country for six months, it was just the the joy I found in not working any in that way uh, was so profound that I came back and I just realized it's like I can't mm-hmm. I can't go back so I came back for a year while I was nudging the librarians mm-hmm. in those six schools. months did you write a novel or like take on some project uh, writing project I think yes so what I started doing was I wrote this mostly on the train actually um, nice. I would take Glen Park Bart to Caltrain to Caltrain uh-huh. to Mountain View bike from Mountain View to school and that gave me two hours a day uh, to write and it also gave oh, me the sort of brilliant. freedom to just, you know, that sort of like uh, generate, generate, which is like always the hardest thing for me. But if I have just a limited amount of time and I just give myself like a page a day, then that and that process ended up working so really well smart. for me. Is that when you start getting into that as your sweet spot for writing? Is it hard to replicate? What if after that you say, uh, well. Now I drive because you commute with your son. Exactly, you are hitting. <laughs> Where am I going to write? Head. Why I don't have a third book out yet? Uh, yeah, well, your I, second one isn't out yet, so <laughs> right, I think right. you're okay still. Yes, <laughs> but it's good. done. You're you know, really there's good. no more work that I'm doing um, on that outside of for like promotion. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I should be like the other YA writers that I meet and talk to. Be like, oh, I'm out on submission now, or you know, they're talking about. While they're waiting for book two to come out, their their book three is already on submission, and for so sure, I sure. feel like I've I've lost that momentum, and I'm hoping to capture it again. I wrote a hundred pages of something that my agent told me would be difficult to sell, <laughs> and so um, I have to kind of think of something so else. A book about like foul mouth stoner teenagers <laughs> that's sold. That sounds I was like trying gold. to write about white privilege, and I'm just not sure. Like, yeah, I, that's it, hard. It, it's a really Hard. Yeah. It's timely, and it's. I think there's um, there's not a, a huge desire in uh, publishing right now to, to take a look at that. To take a look at that, I don't know. You know, the, I think there I think is, it, but maybe not from a white man. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. That, that's the issue, um, which I, I I think a lot about about like you know what I can write and what I can't write. Well, and, it's interesting because the difference between the atmosphere of the high school and the boomerang effect 
in 2016 mm-hmm. and the atmosphere in the school in your own worst enemy in 2018 is very, it's very different. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone is way more woke in 2018 right. <laughs> right. and you treat that with respect, but Makes you sense. also lampoon it. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's some, there's some, there's a lot of things. I think, you know, as someone who's trying to write funny books, I think there's a lot of humor that you can get out of white people's discomfort about race. Yeah. For sure. And, and, and I, I think white people need to be able to laugh at their discomfort or at these sort of interactions because if they don't, then they're never going to engage in those conversations <laughs> or try but you, to... But it's not just white people. I mean, you have a kid who's noted for being the tallest stoner Asian <laughs> right, in the school right, and everyone's right. always thrown off by him. Yeah, because... yeah. He's defined the I love that. too. <laughs> but I think especially, with, I don't know, I think it's especially with white people. <laughs> and I think it's more important for white people to kind of like... Lighten up. I mean, to start, pardon the pun, but you know, there's obviously <laughs> a need to, to talk about uh, talk about this. And I think as long as white people are always on the defensive or are always worried that they're going to screw up and say something wrong, then those conversations are never right. going to happen. And, and also, like, you are going to say something wrong, so just right. be like, "Oh, okay, thank you for yeah. telling me. Yeah. Now I know." Right, right. Instead of being defensive and crazy, yeah, like there's a lot to lampoon there for sure. So, so that was the third book, and yeah. that's what she thought. Like it was, she's like, "I don't think we're ready this is for maybe this not." One. Well, it raises a point when you when you conceptualize your next book or your previous books. What do you start with? A story, a character, or a theme? Well, character is always like you know the number one, and that's I think why it's hard for me to give up this this book that my agent can't sell because I like the character so much. Mm-hmm. I just want to stay with them, so I'm trying to think of like other situations I can put them in just so I can stay with them because I like mm-hmm. I like the characters that I have, um, and so that's that's the most important thing. Like I I feel like is is character, and that story comes out of character for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't start a book – do you start a book saying, I want to say something about white privilege? This one, I feel like I did because it was always this idea – and I'm trying to think if there was a particular situation in mind. I mean it's kind of like in the boomerang effect where I was like, what's the worst thing someone could do at a school like mine? And it it, it was like disrupt the diversity assembly, which mm-hmm. is something that I hold sacred and I think is so important. I think that is like one of the best things my school does. Is And it should do it more, obviously. It shouldn't just be one assembly or one week or anything. And I feel like my school actually does address that you know issues of diversity and social justice pre- pretty well, um, but that was the thing. It's like yeah, you would make fun of something, and I think I think this that third book sort of came out of this issue of like, what if this person came in? I love these sort of fish out of water stories, and so this this one sort of involved this person who grew up in a mostly homogeneous white society coming into San Francisco and all the learning that would uh, that you'd have to do to kind of catch up culturally and and with the mm-hmm. conversations and the issues that happen in a, in a heterogeneous school would put that character in a very uh, challenging situation. And if you made that character someone very kind of literal minded and asked a lot of the questions that we've been trained not to ask, there's a lot of kind of there's a lot of funny situations that could come out of that as well as uh, you set that one in, in a school in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. Also, that you really were going out on a limb here. Well, I was, yeah, moving away from because, yeah, I was, I was like, maybe it's time I leave Los Altos High School and go. <laughs> Have go you read um, William Finnegan's Barbarian Days? No, won the Pulitzer She's last in a year. Huge William Finnegan thing right now. Oh, really? Not right now, man. I'm obsessed with the dude. It's frightening. But at any rate, and have been since 1992 when I read Playing Doc's Games in the New Yorkers, but in the New Yorker, but that is neither but here nor there. You got to hang out with him. <laughs> I did get to hang out with him oh. recently. So, and so I reread um, Barbarian Days, and the first chapter is about a white kid from Orange County who ends up in Hawaii starting middle school mm-hmm. where he's one of the few white kids. Right. White kids are the minority and are bullied. Right, And right. it is this great just lens on what it's like to be that kid. Right, right. And I think it's really instructive and done really well because he's fantastic. Yeah. That is all. So the extra challenge of moving out of Los Altos High School, (laughs) how did that feel? 
It was, you know, it was, you know, again, I, I mean, you know these kids so well. Yeah. But you live, but you live in San Francisco. I, yeah, I got to say, it's, it wasn't, I mean, I don't think it's. I don't know what high school's like in San Francisco. Well, so you should. Except for Stuart Hall. You should take your 21-year-old son to SI for yes. swim lessons every day for, uh, during, over the summer. <laughs> and just walk around. Well, no, I know what. And get a sense of, like. I know what his like. high school was like. Yeah. But his high school wasn't representative of San Francisco. Right, it right. It was a tiny little private school yeah yeah and and like SI, SI kind of is though it's big it, it's, but it also serves an affluent community right. so I'm, I'm yeah. still in that right. oh, okay uh in yeah. that sense but it's a it's a little it's there's a, enough of a difference also there's some stuff that's gone down at SI yeah, we exactly. don't need to talk to you about right now but well but that is la. oh well I mean just a few years ago yeah. they had the the party and yes, um, that's what I'm talking you know about. Yeah. yeah and so that's the incident that sort of started off my I can totally my see book. that yeah I can totally see that can we talk about pot are we gonna talk about pot oh yeah let's talk about pot if you guys wanna <laughs> did you wanna talk about something else I want to talk about YA novels that's the that's, same same yeah. writers on writing okay <laughs> this is about writing because he writes yeah. about pot. And YA, I was surprised that you can write about pot. It's mentioned, Boomerang Effect. This is not a book for 13-year-olds. Third sentence. And yet, oddly enough, that's I my biggest it, audience. I'll bet really? it is. I'll bet it is. <laughs> I can't wait for high school. Because <laughs> they're reading, so, they're reading first two sentence, years ahead of them. Second sentence. Yeah. Of course, third sentence. The excessive perspiration could be the result of being deprived of pot for three days. Yeah, you got a lot of stoners in your book. So, yeah. because that's reality, I get it. But um, I guess I just didn't know until not long ago, maybe even when we did Dr. Frank. Mm-hmm. Um, how Dr. Frank. Frank Portman. Portman. Frank Portman. Yeah. Did you see? No. What? Did he blurb you? Did he blurb you? No. I oh. I think on the uh, they're always comparing me to Frank Portman. Oh yeah. There you go. King Dark. Right here. Yeah. King Dark. Really? Just how? I mean, and you know, Portman. He's got like you know, I don't know, fellatio, all kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. Going. Um. I didn't really realize because obviously kids are always it. The, your demographic is always lower than what it's pitched to. Right, right. And so what you just said, 13-year-olds are reading it. I have no problem with them reading about pop. But I'm just surprised at what what is a completely, like, no comment necessary topic in YA. Is there something you can't touch? Mm. Apparently, white privilege. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. See, and my question was... I mean, you've obviously built up a lot of capital being at the same school for 24 years mm-hmm. on and off. But what the administration reads a book, uh, really? This yeah, that's is what you that, think yeah. is going that, on That's what here? I kind of thought, too. Like, oh, do they really want to hear about the pot-smoking kid? Who right. Well, it's like there's, blah, blah, it's, blah. it's it's not a secret that kids are smoking pot. <laughs> right. like, what? I'm like shocked. A, I'm just, shocked. It's an expose of, you know, <laughs> there are. There. I, it's funny because I have kids who, I mean, you know, who are now in their mid to late 20s. And I say to them, like, I knew you came baked every morning. Yeah. What? Just, like, how? Well, hmm. I remember that it's, moment when some kid was talking about Pink Floyd when I was teaching. I said, does that still mean the same thing I meant when I was in high school? And the guy next to me was, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I think it's even harder now with all the, the like, our issue right now is edibles. Right, next oh, message. Yeah, so and so, hard. and it's just, you, it's so harder strong. to regulate. Yeah, I think yeah. it's so much stronger now. So it's hard for kids to kind of know what the dosage they should be if they're going to try it what if dosage I am going to dose it. yeah yeah and, <laughs> what's the dosage and yeah. it's and, but it's like candy now it's not like oh, you know. have to cart around a bong like right. you did in our day and I shouldn't you know. tell this story but someone I know very very well invented a bong for the classroom Mm. What was how did Innovation. how is that even possible? You it was to... not, not. It's it's actually. I I thought it might be legend in his own mind, but uh-huh. in his hometown, I have several times been cornered by people who t- have told me that he invented this amazing classroom bong, and it was um, the cigarette would somehow go inside one of those little inf- uh, mini footballs, uh-huh. and then you would breathe into the football, kind of like the then, apple core, right? Experience. And then you would you would plug the hole and pass it down the row, and then the person would stick their hand out the window and squeeze <laughs> oh the football. My God. So that the smoke went out, and then they would pass it back. Wow. That We're all about innovation impressive. here at the Grotto I know, Pod. seriously. Yeah. Anyway, unnecessary. Such innovation no longer required. What will happen to our children's imagination? Right. Now with they vaping, can just eat gummy bears. Like, yeah. yeah, they can eat gummy bears and vape. Like, vaping has oh, become a big issue oh, now where you oh, can yeah. see kids just... You know, doing that, and there's there's no odor, there's no smoke. But is it? I mean, not to be the square in the room, but is that a problem? Because I mean, whatever it's you think opposite. of it, I mean, they're showing up screwed up in class. I mean, if a kid shows up drunk in class, <laughs> right, you're right. not going to go, "Awesome, good for you, pal." <laughs> it is a problem. I think it's a huge problem. Yeah, and since it's so easy now, and yeah. there's no stigma really attached to it, they can now they can show up totally, you know, 
winked right. out of their eyeballs. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. No, I don't. I don't know. We are, as a school are having a hard time, kind of figuring out how do we police this in this new era. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's really it's it's just so much harder to detect. They've totally outsmarted all our usual. I don't know how this works with breathalyzer. I was just going to say that's probably the next step. Yeah, and so but you know right when boomerang effect came out, actually I gave her the arc, uh, my principal the arc uh, to say, hey, can you read this? I just want to let you know this is coming out. And <laughs> and she's like, did you have to pick the school mascot and the colors oh. of our feeder school? <laughs> she's oh. like, so that was a problem. But what's what's the, the that's Swedish colors? So. Yeah. Was the trailer that's on your site, were those people from your school? Yeah, yeah. I thought they would be. Yeah, yeah. And the principal? Uh, No, the principal is a PE uh, coach. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, his model, like, principal is clearly stolen directly from Captain Underpants. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so that was the closest uh, person who looked like that. So, since... And maybe you've already given me the answer to this because you just said I stole from Captain Underpants, I steal from where I work. But <laughs> right. was, there, was there ever a chance you were going to write anything other than YA novels? Yeah, well, yeah, I wrote, I wrote a book. You know, I don't know how many people have this experience, but, uh, you know, I wrote an adult book that was agented and didn't sell anywhere, and then my agent dropped me. I mean, I'm learning that that's a very common experience. Super common. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, it was totally devastating, and I took – that book to um, Squaw. Squaw. And I was in a group and well, the feedback was, because it was a father kind of daughter story, and the feedback was, get rid of the father, focus on the daughter, and write this as YA. And I was like, it's okay. Bam. And then as soon as uh, I kind of had that I. That that advice was given to me. I uh, I changed it, and it worked so much better. It still didn't sell, but it was like I got so – and then I get, liked it. So you got a new agent. How did you get your agent? Massive querying. Okay, the, the like old-fashioned way. Yeah, I'm a slush pile child of a slush pile. And so my – so after, I don't know, 200 some odd letters, Super my worth agent, hearing, I think, for people to hear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, my – yeah, I know. Keep so going. I had, a, I had a different experience from most of the people in my debut author group, which – exists for YA authors um, in that it took me about two years to get my agent and then I, and then I sold it pretty quickly mm-hmm. whereas other people got their agent pretty quickly and then took a while to actually sell it. Hmm. But, I think getting an agent is as hard as getting published. Yeah, it was for me but I didn't often. do any of the um, – any of the – uh, networking that I think a lot of other writers are really mm-hmm. good at. Um, I, I'm because I have a full time job. job yeah. The best thing I could do is just send out ten batches of emails every week and just you know. Hope That's that awesome. I love hearing that. Actually, I have a couple questions about when you made the transition to writing about YA. Um, it seems really comfortable for you when you read it. It seems like oh, this guy's meant to write from this point of view. Uh huh. Did you have that experience writing it where all of a sudden you were writing, oh, this is way easier than what I was trying to do before? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I That book that was agented and never sold, I agonized for like five years over that book. Um, first because I wrote it as an adult and then as a YA. An important book. <laughs> and then rewrote and rewrote and rewrote. And then when it didn't sell and then my agent dropped me, I was just like, oh, God, this is the worst. I hate writing. So, I never want to do this again. Yeah. And I said, if I write anymore, I'm just going to write for myself, and I'm just going to make try to make it fun again because it was mm-hmm. not fun anymore. And so that's where this book came out. Is I thought, okay, what are the most uh, what's my most fun reading experience? And I went to P.G. Woodhouse. I don't know if you guys oh, are friends. Yeah. So this is again stolen from Jeeves and Wooster stories. Uh, inspired by. Inspired by. Yes. Yeah. That's the best I, way. Uh, so it's a piece of fan fiction, you know. And so I just said, okay, I'm going to try to make myself laugh on my commute to work and back, and and wrote it in a year. Took another year to sell it um, to it or get an agent interested mm-hmm. in it. Who had me rewrite it? Of and then, yeah. Um, but yeah, so this was, I think, finding a kind of silliness. Like I wanted, uh, as a librarian, I get all these guys who come to me and say, "I haven't read anything since Diary of a Wimpy Kid. I want something light right. and funny right. and something mm-hmm. that I can read in like two days." And so I thought, okay, that's my goal. I'm going to try to write for that. That's my audience that I'm writing for. That's fantastic. Um, and that's kind of what came out of this. Is, well, and I think I read. Did I read you saying somewhere about? How this stands out among YA literature because so much of it, so much of it's vampires and, and yeah. you know spaceships. However, I'm in the know about 
current YA, but uh-huh. one of my best friends is a YA agent. And oh, she says... She's sitting in your office right now. <laughs> she is. Now it's partly her office. <laughs> um, she says that that is what people want right now. They want contemporary, not historical, not crazy, oh, good. like mm-hmm. slice of life. You know, you look at Angie Thomas, the hate you exactly. give, it's just can't... Exactly. When my kid was 13 or 14, I remember going into whatever Barnes & Noble or whatever existed That's all back, there was then. back then. Mm-hmm. And looking at the YA shelf... You had Burton Beckett. We did, but I had a run in with him, so I didn't go in there. But seeing this massive wall of YA books and thinking, there's nothing here for boys. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I used to just look at it and think it was all vampires, fairies. Yeah. It was so, you know, all these things that I loved that you could not find when I was there. Right, there right. was now a glut of. Yeah. And they all looked horrible. Oh. See, but I gave him King Dork. Because that was the only yeah. thing I could think of for boys. Yeah. Well, yep. King Dork is what also like helped me realize that I could write a YA book, you know, yeah. that, that, that it didn't sort have of, supernatural beings yeah, in it. Yeah, exactly, because yeah. it was funny and it was crude and it mm. tackled subjects that I wouldn't think would and be appropriate. And things we for all YA. recognize as our own teenage experience. Right, right. right? Mm-hmm. Sex, yeah. some drugs, school, your parents. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's that's really – I mean it's an interesting part. I understand that teenagers are going through puberty and so they're drawn to sort of dark stories mm-hmm. of – I uh, definitely was. You know, and I, I get that. But I there are also readers who are looking for a little levity or just, you know, want to be entertained without having to Completely. kind of – I mean I remember in my early 20s reading High Fidelity and it yeah, was yeah. so yeah. – it was so – it was a revelation. Yeah, that I had experience too. Like that. Yeah, yeah. Listening to you describe it though, here's something that it's, – it's a risk – that I recognize when I write stuff that I think works for me, that it seems trifling. Uh-huh. That, oh, what I'm writing here, it's funny, you know, it's something past the time, you can read it in a day. Yeah, yeah. But it's not trifling. Uh-huh. Just because it's easy to read doesn't mean it's not important. <laughs> yeah. It's also hard to write something that's easy to read. Exactly. Really hard. That's why I didn't say uh-huh. this seems easy for you. That no. was my first response. Oh, oh, this gotcha. seems easy for him, but it probably isn't. No, no. It took a lot. I mean, it's there, like any piece of writing, it went through many, many, many revisions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first, I don't know if you've read uh, any P.G. Woodhouse but, or G.G. and Wooster stories, I but haven't. the stories are basically uh, – Wooster, Bertie Wooster gets drunk and gets into one scrape after another scrape after another scrape, and Jeeves comes to his rescue over and over and over again. And Jeeves is there's a no, Norwegian exchange student. <laughs> there's, no, there's no character arc. There's no development. He's as screwed up at the end of the book as... Mm-hmm. as book after as book, book after book. book, after book. Yeah. It's just hijinks after hijinks. Mm-hmm. And so... They're hilarious. Though. That was the one piece. My agent said, I like this, but your character can't stay a pothead at the end of the book. <laughs> like, there has to be some growth there. And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. That's not a good message to but whether it's a message or not, it's like we are we are we are formed to want that change. Right, right. Mm-hmm. It just feels yeah. unsatisfying. When you were writing that in that manner, did you have any issues with knowing what your character wanted? Um I think that was part of the problem with the earlier dress for mm-hmm. sure, is there wasn't anything really at stake for him. It's just kind of a picaresque. Yeah. It was like, you know, fun. he went into yeah. a scrape and he had to get out of that scrape, mm-hmm. you know, and so that was it. But there wasn't, yeah, that was the the early drafts were really me kind of fumbling around to figure out what matters for this kid, what's at stake. And once I figured that out, the book took a much better shape and kind of. Well, and there is a message that's consistent not only for, for Lawrence, but also for the guy, the kid from the second book, who uh-huh. was a stoner kid, and it's that if you're if you're known, <laughs> I, read the second one, so. I can't remember his, what was his name. Uh, Tony, Tony, right? Yeah. If you if your rep is you're the party guy and you're the, the you're kind of the loser guy yeah. or the, the the screw up guy, your friends aren't really your friends. <laughs> right. That comes through in both cases. <laughs> I know it's true. I, I I worry about that. If you get seen as an empty house, mm-hmm. um, Ooh, that's then nice. that is, you know, people are going to fill that vacuum and they're not necessarily coming 100%. over because they want to be with you. Right. I really loved that in the boomerang effect, it's really art that is his salvation. Mm-hmm. I, I felt that's how I read it. And um, <laughs> that, so that, that is the correct reading. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I think that is an under, an underappreciated venue for boys. Yes. Yeah. I think... Uh, 
One of the things I guess I'm trying to do with this is there's a very narrow definition of what it means to be uh, masculine in also, uh, high it school. Might, usually the, the thing would be like, oh, then he decides to get a band and then he's the super right. cool, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, drummer or whatever. But that he's doing an unconventional art form. Right, right. It's fantastic. If any boy is doing an unconventional art form, he opens himself up to attack, uh, right. you know, right. from from many on many sides. Right. And so it, it we makes like sense. art, but not after kindergarten. Yeah, but we understand stoners better than we understand origami enthusiasts. Completely. <laughs> so, I love like, that. There was some line like, my dad was happy when I became a stoner. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. you have friends and you have a social network. <laughs> and and you, you definitely have, have, you have more than one instance of, of kids who uh, satisfy their parents or parental figures by fitting into a square. You know, yeah, when Julia yeah. decides she's going to run for president, her aunt's overjoyed. Like, finally. Right, right. Something that I can process here. Yeah, yeah. Brag about. Yeah, it makes sense. I'll <laughs> talk to my friends about or something. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think, you know, that part of this problem, part of what Boomerang Effect is about is that making sure that Lawrence finds a way back to kind of that person, you know, which is mm-hmm. drugs have sort of detoured him. And given him a lot of benefits, but they're short-lived, you know, mm-hmm. because they're not true to who he really is. And that's kind of what um, Spencer helps him kind of discover because Spencer mm-hmm. is so unabashedly himself and doesn't, you know, care about what people say about him or think about him. And that kind of gives him a, a model. And so is um, – um, <laughs> I forgot my own the, character's name. Which the girl? The girlfriend in Boomerang yeah. Effect. Um, oh, you know. Oh, the, yeah. The LARPing maiden. Renaissance yeah. Audrey? Audrey, thank Audrey. you. Yes. Nice. The LARPing. <laughs> <laughs> My kid was really into it. My girl, dot, girl child, very into LARPing when uh-huh. she was in her middle school. How much of the, that sort of stuff comes from things you heard kids talking about? Uh, like, what do you mean by like that? The LARPing like LARPing world? I mean, I, I laughed out LARP, loud when... LARPing, yeah, <laughs> happens in Cuesta Park right down the street from my school. So every Wednesday night, they're out there. And so oh, they're, say, they're, they're all over the city. Yeah. There used to be a whole vampire group way yeah. back in the day. Yeah, <laughs> And there's a scene where the vampire group yep. clashes yeah, with, yes. with the Renaissance group. And you that's all reality, man. Yeah. You didn't lift that from, from South Park, did you? Oh, I, is that a South Park episode? Well, there's vampires and goths. Oh, I, I, I've they seen hate the goth. each other. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have seen that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got some bad news. We're almost done. Oh, we're out of time. I have lost like five pounds. I, I know. Gonna, me too. You know what? I was sweaty say, one. In I here. was actually just going to say I am so impressed that you don't seem too hot. Well, you I seem am. So chill. I've been I took too. off my sweater within minutes of sitting down. I like now my you know father why. before me cannot take off my sweater. It's actually part of my being. Um, You're not wearing a sweater. So, Gordon. How can people find you? Um, well, my you I've have got, a website that I've has a, absolutely no biographical information on it. <laughs> it does. I have. I have. It has a cartoon. A very uh, heartfelt memoir on that about yeah. my family experience yeah. growing up. But uh, my website is Gordon-Jack.com, um, and I'm on Twitter. And I'm, I've been told by. <laughs> People who uh, publish my books that I need to be on Twitter and Instagram more. Correct. So look for like, an explosion of posts okay. to come in the next so couple of weeks. Gordon okay. Jack? Yes. Gordon, I'm going to follow you when we leave here. And here's a trick. Follow me back. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's, yes, <laughs> I, I always do Oh, that. so you're, you're savvy. Yeah. Um, do you have – and I should have asked this earlier. How do you um, deal with a fall release – Mm-hmm. And touring to support the book. Mm-hmm. I don't. Do who, do you tour to support books? I've heard people do it. <laughs> Never Maybe you don't need that. to do that in YA. Maybe. Because I, you have different, like, channels. Well, here's the thing that I Those probably shouldn't say on a public uh, broadcast. Forum. But the nice part about being a librarian and an author is those two things kind of coincide. Oh, so I can go to beneficial. library Got conferences it. and uh, oh, so pitch good. books and, at people. Um, so I kind of can, can combine okay. the two things. So, so I have some travel so aids. Good. So it's a little bit of an unconventional type of So he has travel aids. Let's hear them. Yeah, Are yeah. they open to the public? Uh, well, uh, not yet. So okay. I, the book launch is going to be November 13th at Kepler's uh, in Menlo Park. Okay. Super um, fun. And so that, that's the only real date. And then I have a um, young adult school librarian conference in Salt Lake City. Young adult. Why not put it in Salt Lake City? Exactly. Exactly. It's going to be crazy. Yeah, watch out for the... <laughs> 
That sounds like <laughs> yeah. a Diablo Cody movie. Right, right ready exactly. To make. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but other than that, um, yeah, it, you know, I don't. I'm not. I'm not at the level of some of the, um, you know. Uh, Authors in that Harper represents for mm-hmm. YA that go on these sort of massive. Some of them are and stuff. massive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, those are the books that are selling. Yeah, YA. I hear. <sighs> yes, I wouldn't know. I've been told. Uh, <laughs> BQ. Yes, Author. darling. Let's say someone wants to find you online. Oh, How should they, they want that? to find me, Larry? Thank you for asking. They could find me at BridgetQuinnAuthor.com or on Twitter at BQuintrust. Same thing for Instagram. I'm better on Twitter than Instagram. We had no time to talk about Hawaii, but we'll do that next time if you're oh, a Hawaiian sojourn. As for me, so of course, you can find me at that Larry Rosen on Twitter and Instagram. And if you can't get enough of my voice, go to isitgoodforthejews.com and hear me talk about serious things. Not always so serious. It's hardly ever serious <laughs> things. As for the Grotto Pod itself, uh, you can email us at grottopod at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at the Grotto Pod. Oh, you should follow us on Twitter. We're very amusing. We are, and someday we'll be on Instagram. <laughs> someday. I know. Why doesn't someone start an Instagram Someone should, should start that. Uh, does, is this just us putting this thing on? No, not at all. Hardly. Uh, we need to thank Beth Weingarner, Lorianne Doyle, and Lee Kravitz, our fabulous producers. And also, I'd like to thank our partners, especially Babylon Salon, because we have an event coming up with them June soon. 2nd. June 2nd. At the Armory Bar, the Armory Salon. You guys go to BabylonSalon.com to find out more if you live in the Bay Area. Awesome readers, many of whom have been on this show already. Who are some of the people? Uh, Julie Lithcott Haynes. Oh, on this. she's a big South Coast Palo Alto person and fabulous. Who else did we just you know, have? You on? know who's going to be there though? Aro Kwan. She has a book coming oh. out called The Incendiaries. Incendiaries. I don't know how to say that word, but at any rate, that book is. I've been seeing it everywhere. It's going to be huge. Cool. So. Uh, yeah, I want to thank them and also the San Francisco Public Library right. where we After are our appearing. awesome event that already happened. Yes, by the time you hear this, it will have happened. And Vanessa Warble <laughs> brought down the house, and Larry and I will just have stood by watching her amazing mm-hmm. with pizza donuts. And yeah. what's left to say? You know, there's only this read, write, and just keep working. Like Gordon, apparently, uh-huh. incessantly. Do it, do it. Hunt.